0: Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with co-host, Andy Dolich, and excited for our guests today, and Matt Holt and Steve Pastorino with US Integrity. And we're gonna dive into a little bit of sports betting, but first, uh, I'll let Andy introduce the two. And, um, you know, Andy and Steve have some uh, Billy Ball and Billy Bean connections, uh, so we'll let them two Kind of start off with that, and and then we'll dive into the numbers. Uh, So, Andy?
1: Uh, Thank you, Jake. And I know we're in the brave new world of Zoom. As Jake knows, I'm thinking of doing a Zoom rehab facility in the Napa Valley in a year. Um, I think it would be a very popular place because uh, everybody is, like, Zoomed out, and we're not even there. So I would always let the gentlemen introduce themselves, uh, because the whole concept of gaming in the world today is a significant area of discussion. So Steve and Matt, um, why don't you, uh, a bit of what U.S. Integrity is all about, then a bit of your GPS and your careers, and then we'll get into it. Full contact questionnaire.
2: All right. So, so um, you know, I guess I'll start with my career because it'll kind of lead into U.S. integrity a bit. And um, so after, you know, I, I spent seven and a half years at a company called Canner Gaming starting in late 2010. And at the time, Canner Gaming, which was a kind of a, a sister company to Kanner Fitzgerald, a financial firm, decided that they were going to launch into the foray of of wagering in Nevada with two main premises, which was mobile sports betting and mobile casino games on your phone. Uh, And and when I joined Canner Gaming, we were the only company in the entire United States that had a regulated mobile sports betting app, which we launched in 2009 uh, in the state of Nevada. And it completely revolutionized the sports betting landscape in the entire United States in 2012 Canner Gaming did 1.3 billion of handle at a time when the entire state in Nevada only did 2.8 billion of handle so you know Canner was over 40% of the marketplace at one time just because of that mobile app and the head start they had uh, here in Nevada and I was also the chief operating officer of their sister company a licensed information service provider called Can CG Analytics. And at CG Analytics, we were the odds making branch. And we were also the game integrity and fraud prevention branch of Canner Gaming. And we worked with such leagues as you know NFL, NHL, NBA, Pac-12, Big 12, SEC, essentially everybody, on some fairly rudimentary two-way, you know, monitoring on game integrity, fraud prevention, anonymous tips, abnormalities in the wagering market, which got me thinking that the when PASPA gets repealed, the industry's really going to need a conflict-free, truly independent data and technology-driven solution to game integrity and fraud prevention. So we launched U.S. Integrity in April 2018 with the idea that we could work with all three pillars that we see as critical in the game integrity realm, operators, regulators, and then the leagues, teams, conferences. And right out of the gate, we were able to sign the Pac-12, the SEC, the NBA, the Big 12. And essentially, we monitor abnormalities within the wagering market and look for correlated abnormalities within the events themselves, potential match fixing, game manipulation, misuse of insider information with the purpose of profiting off sports betting. Uh, which is also presents HIPAA issues for teams, people disseminating people's private medical information without their consent, Uh, player and referee safety, referee assignments. We do the most robust officiating that there is exclusion lists on who should actually be allowed to bet. You know, many state regulations are, uh, you know, coaches, players, trainers, people of, of interest or, for the team, so we work on exclusion lists to make, you know, to help uh, operators determine who shouldn't be allowed to wager on those events, and just a wide array of uh, sports betting related compliance services that we provide to universities, teams, leagues, operators, and regulators, and that's kind of the 100,000 foot view of who we are and what we do.
1: And what is the most valuable baseball card that you have behind you?
2: Uh... So it's pro- it's actually a Barry Sanders autographed oh, one, okay. yeah. Oh. And yeah, in terms of like what's the most expensive non-autographed or memorabilia card? Um, I think I have a '58 Mantle Aaron that uh, it's, it's a Topps card it has Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron on it. Uh, um, it's in- Really good shape, might be worth a couple hundred
1: bucks, you know. Nothing extraordinary, all right. So, let's move over to Steve, who uh definitely has over his right shoulder the ultimate logo of U.S. integrity or flag and a bit of his career background, which has been in sports, so Steve, if you can use your roadmap to update everybody.
3: Um, uh, Part of the Oakland A's front office alumni club. Uh, There's about a million of us that spent some time at 7000 Coliseum Way or or Joe Morgan Way. Uh, Also one of the few people in sports that spent time at USA team handball trying to get the US men's and women's national team to the London Olympics. Uh, Most recently, I was at the Las Vegas Lights soccer team here in Las Vegas where I met Matt and introduced this idea of let's throw out the play-by-play announcer and the color commentator and let's put a professional better, professional handicapper and a traffic cop on the air together and uh, we'll find the over-under on red cards far more interesting than a zero-zero soccer game. And uh, Matt brought me on board here at U.S. Integrity literally the monday after selection sunday would have happened the monday of march madness week if you will and fortunately didn't give me a a furlough when he greeted me at the door and i have learned a lot about the sports betting industry hoping helping to expand our reach across the country matt talked about some of the clients that we have at the college and pro level Uh, but also spending a fair amount of time with uh our our co-hosts grand alma mater ohio university uh launching a sports gambling education program that uh we sort of thought would make sense for compliance directors and athletic directors at ncaa schools we're finding state regulators uh, uh pro sports teams sponsorship guys uh aspiring sports gaming industry
0: young professionals all finding uh, an interest in the course well you know in in terms of the world of technology nowadays uh, i think it goes without saying that sports betting is you know ultimately one of those up and coming um how do you bet at a at a sporting event you know how do you bet from home matt and i were talking about it just as we um, uh were you know hopping on the podcast it was you know, hey, if you had a hundred dollars to spend on the ticket going to the game, why not watch it at home and then put hundred dollars on on the game and see if you could actually double your money instead of lose all of it? So, um, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things. And and Matt, let's dive into kind of just what you guys are focusing on in, in terms of um, what's next. And and from a sports betting landscape, right? Obviously, you have your daily fantasy, but provide some insight for our listeners as to truly a high overview of what the the betting landscape really looks like from operators to casinos to, you know, daily fantasy.
2: I think we're really starting to hit full stride in America with sports betting. When we think of, you know, New Jersey last year did more handle than the state of Nevada did. And we were just starting to see these new states that had opened really start to hit their stride in terms of regulation, getting people used to betting on mobile devices. Because I'll tell you, it's a little tricky for consumers who've never bet on a mobile phone before in being able to navigate these apps, understand all the different bet types. And I thought some of these states like New Jersey, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, Delaware, that had got that early start, were really starting to see that educated fan base or consumer base Where people were used to the product now, they were excited about it, they were doing more handle than Nevada already, Um, and and that's expanding rapidly, and the amount, the, the appetite for wagering that we're seeing is unbelievable. So I saw a stat today that said, since the repeal of PASPA, the seventh most popular sport in terms of betting handle at DraftKings is table tennis. And it just goes to show you that American sports shut down and we will look for anything to wager on <clears throat> the UFC this week has done unbelievable wagering handle numbers on their events because it's the only live sport going. And I think that we're, what we're going to see is some of these professional and collegiate sports are going to start to tailor uh, the games and the broadcasts, and, and a lot of the, uh, you know, fanfare around the event around wagering. They're going to, cater to wagering because there's so many studies that prove you know that if you make a bet you're eight times more likely to watch that game and suddenly if you watch that event and have a good time and maybe hey, i made a bet i had fun i watched the event now you're more likely to attend more events and buy merchandise and become a fan so i think we're going to see a lot of these leagues curtailing some of the things they do to wagering Look, Colorado just launched May 1. I mean, despite right in the middle of Corona, uh, there was no stopping their launch. We're up to 21 states now taking bets. It's very possible that by the end of 2020, we're at 29, 30 states taking bets. And if the numbers get back on track and all the sports are, are full blast where they were before, just using the numbers from 2019 and early 2020 as an example, by 2022, we could easily be doing 250 to $300 billion legally wagered
1: in the United States. So help me out, uh, Steve and Matt. I'm, I'm a gaming moron. And there's lots of areas that I'm a total moron. And I see Steve has the background of candlestick, if I'm correct. Correct. Which does not exist at all today. And I didn't have a plaque there. I'm pretty sure there's not even a plaque where that stadium was, and you think of all the incredible events that were held there. The stat that I've heard is at last Super Bowl, let's put COVID-19 off the side for a second, but at the last Super Bowl, there was about $5 billion bet on that game alone. Is that factual
3: Yes. Okay. And what's
2: really interesting out of that is if you look at it in terms of sports and how big things are every year March Madness does about three to four times as much handle as Super Bowl which means we could have expected about 20 billion dollars
1: wagered on March Madness to this year that we missed so let's let's go back to the NFL Super Bowl example And at that time, as you talked about, we'll eventually have all 50 states, or pretty close to it, which will have legalized gaming approvals. But most of that um, was not um, wagered through uh, through uh, normal authorities, right? It was off book. It was not done uh, through state approvals.
2: Um, no, the five billion is about what was legally wagered. If you if you look at the estimates of what they say was wagered across the world, it's around 150 billion. And they say what was wagered in the U.S. They think it's between 40 and 50 billion. Five billion was is essentially what was legally wagered across the United States. Uh, the Super Bowl, just on the Super Bowl. Oh no no not yeah yeah you know you're okay.
1: right in the U S wagered in the U S yeah right. so what hmm. I'm trying to get to is uh, how how long will it be I'm the star quarterback and I've thrown a pass at the end of the game to win the Super Bowl for my team now you guys or we've all bet hundred dollars on the game or maybe we had prop bets in the game. How does that money, that $5 billion, when it becomes all legal, um, how does that money come to the owners, the podcast entities, the players' associations, and the players? That's sort of where I keep blacking out. I understand the incredible demand uh, and interest and enthusiasm for betting on sports and e-gaming has added to it, um, and global gaming. But as comes to the sports fans seeing his team, his players, the players' association, the owners, how do they monetize that massive amount of money that's being bet on one football game?
2: So, and Steve may have some other examples, but I think the two biggest right out of the gate are corporate sponsorships, which we're seeing already with some of these big deals like MGM and the NBA. and you know, DraftKings and FanDuel and some of the corporate sponsorships. So corporate sponsorships is easy. And I, I think the other part of it where you actually get a piece of the action is going to be the in-stadium wagering, which is already starting to happen. You know, with the Washington Wizards, the Washington Capitals, the New Jersey Devils, we're already starting to see the first iterations of in-stadium wagering, which when that really matures in five years, I think, obviously, the teams will be getting a cut of that in-stadium wagering. And Steve, obviously, is someone with the A's and the lights, especially the lights, who did gaming partnerships. He could probably speak to that further as well.
3: Yeah, well, there's a number of ways that it's going to be monetized. These team owners... Are now conglomerates, and you have you have the leagues, MLB, being invested in DraftKings. We've we've talked to uh, professional teams that are inquiring after our services because they want to buy a piece uh, of the gaming industry uh, in their hometowns in, in in all four you know different time zones in, in the U.S. So so they're becoming um, part of the business. Uh, and Matt didn't mention television ratings. You know, what are the numbers? I think of the 100 most popular televised events last year, 90 of them were sporting events and 75 of those were NFL games and the top 12 are all NFL games. Uh, So the the continued growth of interest in in the sports is going to continue to drive uh, the ratings, which is going to continue to drive the bidding. And as long as there is an ESPN ABC versus NBC versus Amazon versus Apple versus whomever to bid on these rights, it, it's, it's going to grow. You have Twitch getting into broadcast rights of sports teams. Uh, it, it, there seems to be no end in sight as to uh, the, the companies that are going to be the vehicles that are going to bring you those games. We're seeing technology that you could you know, potentially be um, uh, watching sports games within a betting app. Think about that for a second, I'm
1: actually- My my involvement in the fan-controlled football league
3: know about
1: will have an immersive capability to have betting on every single play. Um, The immersive circumstance of media is only going to help this. It strikes me that that's an obvious one. And the world is shrinking through the size, right, of, of a ball, basketball and soccer and billions and billions of dollars, as you talked about, Matt. Everybody's gonna be an expert on, oh, I'm, I'm an expert on EPL. I'm putting big money, and people in Asia are experts on the NBA. Uh,
3: we, we also have a company here in Las Vegas that is partners with U.S. Integrity called PropSwap. Um, if you're sitting on a ticket that you bought for $100, uh, for a team to win the championship at 100 to 1, let's say it's you know, Leicester City using your EPL model from uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a month before the game, you can decide that um, you don't necessarily want to sweat it out and find out if they win or not. You can uh, put that ticket on a legal Regulated market, and some other lesser fan can come in and buy that ticket that has a potential cash out value of ten thousand dollars for for half of that, and uh, you know you both might end up with some profit, or uh, only one of you may end up uh, making some profit. But um, just like we've seen a secondary market in in traditional stadium tickets emerge, the same thing is starting to happen uh, with, with with betting. As we look at all the Companies getting licenses in Colorado, and there's more than 30 different operators uh, putting sports bets out to the public in Colorado starting this year. Uh, A number of them have very, very innovative uh, betting uh, uh, concepts. Um, You know, we're going beyond the score at the end of the game. We're going beyond the prop bet. We're going beyond the 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 in-game. It's the, the depth of what uh the betting industry uh how we'll package different ways to bet in a sporting event we haven't even scratched the iceberg, iceberg yeah sort of the, the driveway
1: to driveway experience in everything associated with the game or where sports is trying to go 24 7 through 65 right uh, yes. never leave the sport yeah. uh,
3: so where i thought you were going to we go gonna with bet on the
1: combine not yet soon
3: we are. Right? Where, where I thought you were going to go with the Super Bowl reference is this past uh, January or early February, the most popular prop bet on the Super Bowl was Patrick Mahomes over or under 36 and a half yards rushing. And as a 49er fan, it, it kills me, but he started the last drive. They had two minutes left on the clock. They, they could only burn about uh, 105 of the 122nd, so on three consecutive plays, um, Holmes didn't take a knee, he ran all over the backfield, um, ended up losing 20 yards on three different carries. So his end of game rushing total was 26 yards instead of 46 yards, somewhere between five and $10 million in bets swung uh, on those three plays, meaningless really for the, for the you know, final score outcome, uh, but there are plenty of, of uh, betters up in arms. It was the proverbial uh, Scott <laughs> felt bad beat. Um, you were you, you had your ticket cashed. You were going to go spend it, and uh, you know Patrick Mahomes ran around the backfield three straight times and uh, ruined his rushing total for the for the purpose of that one prop bet.
1: Yeah, I was trying to go to the the macro side of these billions of dollars that are being bet on sports and how that. Ultimately, it comes down to the sport itself, which I think, again, it confuses a number of people as opposed to corporate sponsorships, broadcast, ownership, buying into different properties, that that's not necessarily going to the tight end who may agree to play in that game.
3: No, not at all. And keep in mind, um, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but the margin uh, from a sports book is only about 5%. And so uh, the, 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 the net revenue at the Sportsbook is 5% of that $5 billion number. Every state is taking its piece of taxes. You've got overhead for the fancy MGM casinos and the, the, the Caesars Palaces. Right. That's where I
1: wanted to go, that there's a lot of different vacuum cleaners for that money, all legitimate, all above board, but it's not just some giant funnel that is another place coming to the teams, the
3: players, and the owners. I think I'm supposed to say, we're, we're just a generous industry, Andy. We're <laughs> giving 95% of that money back to the better.
1: <laughs> I think you guys should be nominated for a Nobel Prize. I'm gonna buy the work later today.
0: Matt, Matt, as you as you think about, uh, you know, Steve, if the, if, the, if the margins are only 5% and there's, you know, <clears throat> this humongous billion dollar profit, Right. If you're the team, you're also thinking about how do you maximize the sports better as a new fan? Right. Steve, you were in the you you were in the partnership world. The more eyeballs you can get, the more fans you can get on the brands, the more valuable your sponsorship is become. How do how do teams, leagues, uh properties utilize the sports betting to acquire new fans that they may be you know, wouldn't otherwise be able to have eyeballs on their on their sport, their game, uh, the, the you know the Tuesday night football game, whatever it might be.
3: The 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 first time Matt and I worked together professionally, he was the professional handicapper on our over the air primary television broadcast of the Las Vegas Lights soccer game. It was the last game of the season two years ago. The team was terrible. Uh, lost. 25 out of 32 games, I think, we were on the road, had nothing to play for. Um, So we decided to put the entire focus on a dozen prop bets that William Hill provided us uh, during the game. And there was a moment about five minutes into the second half when the only player on the field that anybody other than a diehard soccer fan had ever heard of, Freddie Adu, who played for the lights, um, gets shoved down on the sideline which was inconsequential, but jumped back up and shoved a, a Sacramento Republic defender. Uh, our broadcasters went crazy. Matt Matt was there because they said that's gonna be the fifth yellow card of the game. That's gonna put the the over, which had been four and a half in play on, on yellow cards. And if you've got, you know, that ticket, you're cashing you're cashing on this. And it was zero zero at the time and you know predictably we got a few calls from some soccer purists saying that's that's no way to call a soccer game um, we had a gentleman who drove to the um uh to the the, the set that we were using the the, the set in in south point um to meet our professional better uh who he had always heard about he's a british guy who was here in las vegas for, for the game um, literally drove 30 miles in to introduce himself and say that finally we had a breakthrough, and sports betting w- was getting its fair place uh, on American television. Um, we heard from more, you know, five times as many fans who said, um, "You made soccer interesting," than purists who said, um, "You know that that's not how we do soccer." And don't get me wrong, I I, I love soccer, I adore soccer. I spent a lot of my childhood overseas, um, but it 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 becomes this old argument. You know how do you generate interest in, in a 0-0 game no one was turning off the game the only game in the, the only goal in that game came in the 78th minute and you know for 77 minutes if you were betting for or against uh, shutouts on, on on either side um, you know you stayed to the end uh, of that game uh, and and others so so
1: was that Freddie Adu who was going to save U.S. soccer that Freddie Adu who has to be how old now
3: uh, he was in his 17th year as a pro with us at the Lights in 2018 wow. and, and, 18, and still claiming that he was 31 uh, years old because he had turned pro when he was 14. Our our, our coach said that, you know, he had the, the legs of a 47-year-old uh, soccer player.
1: He's like the mini Minoso or Satchel Page. When you mentioned that, you and I didn't talk about that when I visited
0: you there. Yes.
3: Um, yeah.
1: Wow, Freddie do good for him.
0: Um, Matt, when you when you think about um, what Steve had just mentioned in terms of the the ultimate uh, fan staying and watching, right? That's only going to increase viewership, increase viewership worth, right, and value. Um, and is there like what's the larger effect you think on the the business as a whole uh, that touches you know the the teams, the leagues, the properties, whether it's the tickets, the sponsorships, the concessions, whatever it might be. Um, where where betting kind of uh, allows other fans to be involved?
2: Well, I think it helps build databases first. So first of all, it's an engagement tool, right? It's an attractor. It's a way to get people in that wouldn't have bet the sport before. And we've seen it this week. It's one of the best ways to grow new fans. So the UFC is the only sports, the only league or whatever that has live sports right now in the United States. And they're going to have their third event in seven days Saturday and the amount of new signups just not the revenue not just the revenue generated but the amount of new signups to the sports books signups for the ufc fight pass all of a sudden there's all these people that because of the gambling aspect alone are gravitating to the sport and gravitating to the sports book now it's up to you the ufc or you the sports book to then market further to that individual to get as much as you can out of them, but it's the betting that caused that reaction that I was never gonna watch UFC. I never would've watched this event. There's nothing else going and I can bet on it. So I make a bet because I made a bet, I tune in. So the sports book got a new sign up and a new customer. The league gets a new fan watching. Now it's up to you, the league, put the best product, put your best foot forward and market to that customer and to the sports book to attract them overall. But what we're seeing is, look, you know, these fans are, are engaged and engaged and engaged, and, and the, the in-play wagering is great. Um, but it only, I think, you know, I, I think as we go here, it has to be used as an engagement tool. You know, the leagues have started to dip their feet in. They're doing some corporate sponsorships. And then we hear the leagues asking, how do I benefit? The leagues are really going to benefit when they fully embrace it and fully engage. You know, the problem right now is that we're seeing these big sponsorship deals and what we haven't talked about yet is data. You know, how much money do the leagues make off selling their data rights where they never did before? You know, look at the deal, the NBA signed to a sport radar. I think it was 240 million over six years. Um, I mean, big money deal to be able to distribute your data, and the companies that are buying that data are turning around and using it to build in play odds, to Yeah, the, ultimate, the, the
1: analytics. ultimate analytics and metrics. If we could fast forward. So, if I take this, right, I got a yeah. of hanging around the house. If I, <laughs> if I get this, and the Raiders are playing at Allegiant Stadium, right? And then I use the latest in cell phones (laughs) to make make my call, uh, to place my bet, Um, help move into the fans' realm of what are we going to see from the Raiders and the NFL being their first year in Vegas. I mean, blue sky, what's it going to be like when people are sitting in and around Mm -hmm. Uh, the country watching a team in Las Vegas.
3: Can you hold up that phone again, Andy?
1: Yes. Hey. An incoming, I've got an incoming call. Jake, <laughs> that's you're, an amazing. You're that's phone. amazing. I've, I mean, holy cow. Um, this phone is, actually works, and I used it during the 1989 earthquake between the Giants. I'll show it the next time with Gallagher. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my, <laughs> I'll see you a picture, Steve. You can't – Okay. I, every once in a while on April 1st, I walk into, like, a phone store, and I walk in with this, and I say, hey, I need to upgrade my phone. Can somebody <laughs> – <laughs> uh,
2: so back to the Raiders. I don't know that, uh, yeah. I, I don't know that the, the Raiders experience is in Vegas is going to see any more gambling than we saw – in New Jersey at the Meadowlands with the Jets and the Giants last year. Granted, the Jets and the Giants weren't very good, but what I think some people forget is that there were people in the Meadowlands Stadium last year on their mobile devices, legally betting on the Jets and the Giants while they were at football games. So that kind of precedent has already been set. We've already seen it. We've had the Pac-12 games out here, their conference tournament in Vegas forever. You know, we saw New Jersey and Mississippi. So we've already got an idea um, of what it's like. What I do think the future is going to hold is that some of these stadiums are going to have to work on their Wi-Fi experience, the signal that you're able to get, because part of the experience as a fan now is suddenly being able to bet on the game. You know, part of that whole fan experience used to be go to the game, buy a beer, have a hot dog all of a sudden mixed into that whole realm is make a bet on the game. And if I go to the game and I go to open my phone, but I can't open my betting app, suddenly I didn't have the whole experience. I don't feel as good about it. So I think one of the things that leagues and teams need to focus on is making sure that that Wi-Fi and everything in the stadium is up to snuff so that I can go in there. I can buy my beer, get my hot dog and make my bet and get
1: the full experience. That's a whole other point. That sports, if it can't be agile, nimble, and deal with a nanosecond transaction, they're yesterday's business,
3: right? Yeah, That's absolutely. right. Yeah, and I think one thing that'll look different is the experience for a lot of fans is going to start at McCarran, uh, McCarran Airport. Looking at the at the Raiders' schedule, Denver and Kansas City are scheduled to visit in late November. Um, would you rather be in, in Colorado in late November or take a nice weekend to 75 degree uh, Las Vegas, get off the plane, go through the airport? You're downloading your Nevada, um, uh, you're updating your, your Nevada app. You're hopping in an Uber. You're going to Allegiant Stadium. Um, how different is that, Andy, from, you know, getting off the BART at the Coliseum stop and walking by the concrete refinery and over the, uh, the estuary and, and into this concrete monolith uh, of the Coliseum. Uh, you know, the black pearl of the Allegiant Stadium is just this beautiful glimmering building just across the street from uh, the, the strip, uh, the south end of the strip in, in Las Vegas. Um, it is gonna be a fascinating experience and it's going to be a destination for uh, every NFL team's fans.
1: Yeah, no, I, no doubt. It. The other one's
3: going to be the traffic from Los Angeles, everybody driving up. Uh, yeah,
1: well, but then you got, uh, you know, you got a 5.4 billion dollar two-team stadium in Inglewood, which is going to pop some As you said, it's all national. All the money comes in. It's that much more exciting. And it keeps you, uh, there's a new part of your DNA that's attached to your team, even if they're in the middle of a losing streak. That's right.
0: Matt, as, as we think about um, the one piece of, you know, we, we introduce you guys and it's, you, you know, you, you're, you are a U.S. integrity, right? So let's just touch on this the second part of your company, integrity. Um, I mean, as we wrap up this episode, what is, you know, the, the couple things that you're really focused on from an integrity standpoint, uh, ultimately within the sports betting landscape?
2: So I think it differs greatly from professional to collegiate leagues, but the one thing unanimously across the board um, where the biggest vulnerability lies in all sports is with officials, referees, officials, crew chiefs, field chiefs, whatever you want to call them, home plate umpires in baseball. They have so much control over who wins and loses games and the outcome of events. And obviously they're not making the money that players are and everybody's familiar with the Tim Donahue situation, and that didn't happen 50 years ago, it happened 15 years ago, Um, that's the big scare factor, right? And we spend a lot of time refining our processes on not just developing statistical analysis for each referee, but their career behavioral patterns. Do they have biases toward home crowds? Do they have biases toward underdogs? So that when things come up, because I guarantee you, Every time that there is a big blown call in a game, we get people anonymously reaching out to us saying, this referee fixed this match. Uh, You know, you need to go get them. And it's up to us then. I'd say that we spend 60% of our time investigating referees, actually advocating for why the match wasn't fixed, than we do actually chasing people down, thinking there could be issues because fans get outraged You know, think of the fans before when there used to be bad calls, how mad they would get. Now you add in financial loss on top of that because they bet it. They lost money on the bet and it was their favorite team. So they're double mad now. And they immediately go to that, those dark places of this has to be fixed. So we spend a lot of time um, now on referees. Insider information, I would say, is the second one. Um, Because nobody ever really focused on it. Nobody really understood how, you know, when you think about billions and billions and billions of dollars being wagered on these games, suddenly if I know that LeBron's going to rest tonight or Kawhi Leonard's going to rest tonight, or Mike Trout's taking the night off, I have a big advantage on what the odds are now, if I can bet it before the information comes out. So there's this underground market to get this information. And again, a lot of the trainers on some of these teams, not the elite trainers, but the intern trainers, the medical staff people, they're not making a ton of money. And the opportunity suddenly, you know, to get ten or $20,000 for one-time information that they don't necessarily think is hurting anybody. Hey, by the way, uh, Kawhi Leonard's not going to – he's going to rest tonight. You know, who does that hurt? And, if you know, if they can make a bunch of money off it, that's something that we deal with a lot, especially at the collegiate level. And then something we've been dealing with a lot this year is the mental and physical health and well-being of players. You know, we had, you know, You ESPN did a good story on one of the games we covered with Baylor when they were still undefeated on the road and number one in college basketball this year where their point guard, Macy OT, they're up eight with like three seconds left in the game and their starting point guard misses two free throws at the end of the game. He doesn't think twice about it he goes on campus the next day thinking he's a hero where we've won 30 in a row on the road look at us and he's getting ridiculed he was getting death threats because the spread was nine and they only won by eight and he missed two meaningless free throws at the end of the game but now he has to sit in a classroom with 21 year old people who legally bet on the game who now are hate him or are mad at him or are blaming him and it's a different situation that these schools and universities are dealing with that they never had to before. So we've been doing a lot of work on that as well.
0: Now, that's super interesting. And I think it it will only continue to evolve as, uh, you know, the mental health uh, piece evolves uh, aside and and differently from uh, just the sports betting world as a whole, right? So, um, you know I think you when when you think about betting in sports it's such a large uh, concept right it, it can go a lot of different directions to Andy's point from a revenue perspective to Steve's point from a fan perspective to your point from a mental health perspective there's a lot of different impacts that it can ultimately have on the industry um, and certainly excited to uh, have, have had the time to, to chat with both of you uh, in you know understanding kind of what some of the effects are gonna be, understanding that it's also gonna change. You know, we could talk in six months and, and they'll probably have some different answers as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a rapidly evolving, I mean, think how immature this market. Two years ago today, to this very day, PASPA got repealed. So we're only two years in, this market's still so immature. I mean, it's completely changing every day.
0: guys thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh andy pleasure as always and until next time